Hello, this is Reverend Dr. Gene Archer, Senior Pastor of the Pilgrim Church of the Firstborn Toronto. And I'm here to serve you, and by God's grace and goodness, we try to work close to God's Word, close to the text, to reveal God's mind to us. God is His own revelation, self-revelation, and He is his own self-interpretation of that self-revelation. And that's why we study the Word of God, so that we can understand God's mind, who He is, and who He is towards us. God bless you. Those of us who are joining in this study today, by podcast and YouTube, welcome. And um, we are thankful that you are attentive to God's word. And so we pray now that God will lead us into all truth. Father, we come to you, God, asking that you will minister today to your people, minister to my heart. You said, oh God, that we should remind the brethren of these things. And may we, oh God, Submit to your spirit as we trust in you. May your word be the only thing that echoes in our hearts. May your God be receivers of your word. And may your spirit apply your word appropriately to the condition of our hearts to reformat wrong thinking. And may we, O oh God, not follow our sinful impulses, but your spirit-informed influence through your word. You said, O oh God, in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is true. And, O oh God, you not only requested this, but you commanded the Father and to sanctify us, to make us be and behave as designed. And so we pray that your word today will advance us in that direction. In Jesus' name, amen. Just as according to God, I spoke this word a couple years ago, I think it was 2017. Uh, three years or so ago. And um, so it is a repeat, but a repeat that I trust that will be fresh to our minds as we, we are told in God's word to remind the brethren of these things. So repetition reinforces learning. And what we have today in Christendom on Wednesday nights and Thursday nights, I'm dealing with, with um, all the, the issues concerning prophecy and book of Revelation and so on. But on Sundays now, like today, we are preparing ourselves for the future. Paul says, I preach to you and I teach to you so that I'll um, provide or 
represent a, a chaste bride for Christ through his word. So I'll be teaching today on just as. That phrase, just as. That those two words that are so powerful as the dynamic duo, if you may. Standards. We have all kinds of standards in our society today. We all have all kinds of things that we measure things by. We measure, we have academic standards, we have standards concerning food, we have standards concerning health and um, sanitizing of things. We have standards in the airline industry as the pilots are returning to fly. Many of them, as required, will have to go back to the simulator in the cockpit simulator before they can hit the air. And we could go on and on and talk about standards. You passed exams, you have to do to qualify at a certain standard. Universities have different standards. And when we look at standards, we also say that the bar is this. We have world records. And now everyone wants to break some record. Records are set to be broken. We know in track and field, 100 meters, um, Usain Bolt, 9.58 in the 100 meters. In the 200 meters, 19.19, and, and so on. And we go on in the 400 meters, Van D. Kirk from South Africa, 40. 3.03, and we could go on and on. The marathon, um, Elliot Kipchoge, one hour, one minute, and 39 seconds, running about 44.32 seconds, minute, four minutes, 32 seconds per mile, for 26 miles straight. That is incredible. Some of us can't even run a four or eight minute mile one time. So it shows you what the human body can do. Those are standards. And we, we strive to hit the high standards possible with our health too. What, what shape is your immune system in? You have to take this and that to keep that standard of health as much as possible. When you lower the standard, then everything begins to decline. Then there's competitiveness because of that. We try to outdo each other. And the competitiveness is built in us. Look at the sports around. Everything we do, we try to... Even the Bible says that in, in um, Hebrews chapter, chapter 10, verse 25, it says, spur one another unto good works. That is... You know, not, not destructive competitiveness, but spur one another onto good works. You know, provoke one another onto good works. And you can see that there too. But you only look seriously at the low quality of Christian living today. Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. The average Christian 
has their own kind of standard that they have created and they live by. And even if they don't say it out loud, that's a standard that they set for themselves. The song that I requested to be played a second time on this, um, he's able to do what he wants to do with me. God is able. So therefore, God doesn't show us back on ourselves to say, hey, reach up to this standard. What God commands us to do, he also enables us to do. He's able. We always talk about God's ability to do mighty works and deeds. But what I'm focusing on today is God's ability to make us be what we ought to be. That is so important. We are told in Revelation that we need to prepare ourselves for that time. We're going to come as a thief in the night, um, surprisingly, unexpectedly. We ought to be ready and prepared. Make your calling and your election sure. Examine yourself to make sure that you're in the faith. These are some injunctions that we need to keep dear to our hearts. And we meet these standards in the word of God. In today's society, you have postmodernism, which has crept into the church. I have over 50 different heresies that I've studied that have crept into the church and even from the time of the apostles and so on. These heresies have been around and they have come in different forms and shapes even in our churches today. So one day I hope to do a study on, on, on all of those heresies just to itemize them. But postmodernism is a, is a serious threat because it is that all truth is subjective and relative. We are, we are very anthropocentric in our Christianity. Anthropocentrism means a Christianity that is man-centered. Anthropos means mankind. So anthropocentric means a, 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 a Christianity or a spirituality that is man-centered, man-driven, man determined and so on when it should be christocentric a christ-centered thing even john on the isle of patmos when he got the revelation john was even tempted to bow down and worship the angel in revelation 19 you see there and other places and the angel says um do not do that i am a fellow servant Worship only God. In other words, look to God alone. You can look to other people to follow them as they follow Christ and so on and teaching and doing things, but look beyond that as God as a source. And why this is so important and why the Holy Spirit included that segment, segment where um, John was about to bow down to the angel and the angel stopped him and redirected his, his energies and his focus on God is because even John himself, as great as, and as, as honored as John was to receive such a revelation, even John himself in the spirit was tempted to worship other things. How much more you, myself, and all of us here 
This is serious. And so therefore the temptation to look to others for enablement instead of looking to Jesus. Let us look to Jesus alone. Progressive Christianity, which I touched on um, briefly in, uh, on Thursday night in our Bible study, that's another threat too, where progressive Christianity seem, it seems to be something so beautiful. I mean, wow, the statement sounds good. Progressive, who, who doesn't want to progress? But it is actually a post-liberal movement within Christianity that seeks to reform the faith via insights of postmodernism and a reclaiming of the truth beyond variable historicity. That means the truth as it is revealed to people inside of their perception and their interpretation. That is heresy. And so why am I, why am I laying this foundation? I'm laying this foundation because I'm going to speak, I'm speaking on just as. And if we have all of these other things um, in, in, our, in our mind and our focus, then or just as will not be biblical. Just as is a truth of and the proof of spiritual alignment. We are told in God's word, as I always have been teaching in um, Jesus' um, um, Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as you know, the three points there, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Spiritual alignment on earth as it is in heaven. Spiritual assignment, that will be done. Someone is going to do it. Spiritual refinement as it is in heaven. In other words, God has a standard that we need to live by. Our citizenship is in heaven. Um, let, your, let your conversation be or is in heaven. Our lifestyle or our, our thinking process must be that of God and, and what God's standard is. And so therefore, the just as our phrases is a phrase that is used throughout scripture. And I'll just itemize a few of the just as um, statements. The Greek word for just as is one word in Greek and is the word kathos, K-A-T-H-O-S, kathos. And it's an adverb derived from kata, which means according to. And hos, which means hos, which means as compared to or to the extent of. Properly, it means in proportion or to the degree that something is at. This is according to Thayer's Greek lexicon. Just as in direct proportion corresponding to fully or to, the, to exactness. Whoa. And so God is the just as God to us. And so we in response can be just as this back to God. Let me mention a few of God's just as to us. The just as of presence. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. In fact, the I am in the Bible, the I am statements refer to um, Yahweh etymologically, meaning real, whole, unvacillating, attentive presence, 
ever-present God. And so God is the same, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just as he was, he remains the same in his love, in his attentiveness, and his care for us. Then there's a just as of covenant. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and your God. God is a covenant God, a, a, what is called a diatheke God, a God of promise, who promises us. And the promise is informed by the purity of his nature. So God will not break his promise. As we know in Genesis 15, when um, Abraham was to cut the promise, as it were, with God, as you know the story quite well, God caused his presence alone to pass through the cut pieces, saying in, in, in essence, I have committed myself to Abraham and his offspring, spiritual offspring, as consistent with my existence. In other words, I would have to go into non-being like these cut pieces if I break this covenant, this promise. And the promise is, is um, it's not, it's unconditional and it cannot be conditioned, it's unconditioned. And let me explain in a minute before I go on. Now, when you see it says that um, um, if there are two kinds of covenants, there's what is called a descriptive covenant and a prescriptive covenant. Now, uh, a prescriptive covenant is a covenant that is like a prescription, is like, um, it's like you have to do this and that, and then God will do that. And to some degree, that might exist in some what is called case laws in the Old Testament, um, we say if and so on. But the descriptive covenant is at the heart of, of God's promise because it describes us as God's people. And even when we break the covenant or we are unfaithful to the promises we have made to God, God is, remains faithful because his faithfulness is based upon the stability, the, uh, the, um, the security, and the, the, the strength, and the immovability, I should say, of his very nature. James tells us that in him there is no variableness, no shadow of turning. And so God's promise is consistent with his nature towards us. And it's based upon his nature. And that is powerful. That the just as from God's perspective is informed by that. Then the just as of promise. I shall be your God. You shall be my people. I shall dwell among you. Now God is not asking that. God is actually making a promise. That's why it is shall or will. I shall be your God. We cannot emphasize this too much. We see it again in, Revel in, in, Corinth, in the Old Testament. We see it in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. We see it again in Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. I shall be your God. You shall be my people. And I shall dwell among you. God towards us in the point of 
revelation, us towards God, the point of reconciliation, and I shall dwell among you, that is actually communion and fellowship, and that is going to be experienced. It has begun already, and it will be fructified when the Lord returns. That is the power of God's promise. Um, theologically, if you understand, that is called the ubiquitous tripartite formula of promise. It's universal. It, it applies short all of scripture. That's what that means. It's tripartite. It has three sections. And it's a formula that God himself uses. Just as of promise, mutual reciprocity, mutual reciprocal possession, just as. And so right there, you see God made a promise. And right there, we, we have a fellowship and inclusiveness in the Trinity without, without us becoming God, just as our God knows himself. In that the quality of that knowledge. In that day you shall realize that I am in my Father, my Father is in you, and I am in you. What an awesome thought in John chapter 14, verse 20. And then now the just as of reconciliation. You shall be my people, as I said. You shall be mine, just as I lovingly willed, intended, and predestinated, according to Ephesians 1, verses 1 to 4. You shall know me from inside. John said, in fact, um, the word reconciliation, katalasso, means to put in one's place and be as one is with oneself. To put in one's place and be as one is with oneself. So technically it refers to just as our God is one with himself, God has taken us and put us in the place where he is with one with himself. That is the essence of Catalasso, to be placed down in the same place where God is with himself. That is deep. That's why we're told um, God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world unto himself. Not, but then we now need to be reconciled to God. And it's when we reject that, that we are condemned. That's a study in itself. So the just out of union and communion, we see this, I shall dwell among you and within you, just as. The just as of holiness, be holy just as I am holy. How is that possible? When, when we, um, how can we measure the holiness of God with our holiness? There are some heresies that came out of this, out of church history, which I can address another time, that, that um that says that, that the quality of holiness that God has is not the same quality of holiness that we have. And I've heard that statement being made by um, a couple of pastors in, in, our, in our group. And I won't call any names, but that has concerned me. And it sounds all right and so on, but the Bible tells us quite clearly that um, that we might be made in the righteousness of Christ. He who knew no sin became sin 
the sin offering for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so therefore, righteousness, justification is that God has given us his righteousness positionally. And then we now live out of that functionally. And so there's this righteousness. It's both a promise, 2 Peter 1, verse 16. And it's also not only a promise, but a command. So God commands us, but we are able, are unable to fulfill that command to be holy as he's holy, not only positional, but functionally as we mature in Christ because he has enabled us to do it as a promise. There's a just as of forgiveness. We are told in Colossians 3 verse 13 and, Coloss and Ephesians 4 32, it says, forgive one another just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. Now, you might say, Pastor, what are you talking about now? Let's be real now. How do you mean, how can I forgive just as God in Christ forgave me? Okay. Thomas Watson, one of those great banner of truth, trust, um, Puritan theologians of years gone by. I grew up on the Puritans, man, in the in band of truth, truth, trust. And um, he said, he talks about forgiveness lifestyle. Forgiveness is a lifestyle. The just as forgiveness is a lifestyle. Let me clarify. Some points I will list that are pronounced in the forgiveness lifestyle. One, resisting revenge. Resisting revenge. If you are forgiven, you internally within your soul resist revenge. Two, not returning evil for evil. Proof that you are practicing or we are practicing the just as forgiveness as our God has forgiven us, not returning evil for evil to that person who has offended us. Three, you hope them well or some you say wish them well. I prefer to use you, you hope and pray them well. You seek the highest possible good for them. That's your mindset. When they come to your mind, you, you, you ought to pray, Lord, I pray that you bless that person. The Bible says, bless your enemies. Bless and curse not. Okay? As I always say, instead of telling people, go to hell, you should tell them, why don't you go to heaven? That is a better statement that will reconfigure our thinking. Fourthly, grieving at their calamities. You don't, love doesn't rejoice in evil when evil is done to somebody. You don't rejoice when the person who has hurt you is in some calamity. A forgiveness lifestyle is pronounced with this, grieving 
at their calamities. We see David did that. When, when David's enemies were trying to hurt him, uh, and David would pray when they got hurt, and his, his, his soldiers were saying, well, what is this? Who can you be? You can be caring for your enemies like that. Grieving, not just, oh, I'm sorry for them. Grieving at their calamities. Have we reached that standard? When we can do that, that is the essence of just as, forgiving one another just as. Praying for their welfare is the next one. When you pray for them, all the persons who have offended us and we have a problem, you know, like, you know, we can't forgive them. The Bible commands us, forgive one another. I've been saying this for years at the church and, and all those who are listening again. We need to remind you of this. For, forgive one another just as. And if we are experiencing forgiveness from the Lord Jesus Christ, then we'll be able to forgive others. No, I, I can't. I, you can do a whole sermon on forgiveness alone. I'm just mentioning something here at this point. Because Jesus, even, even the disciples had a problem saying, oh, shall we seven times? Jesus Christ was saying, no, no, give, forgive indefinitely beyond what you could ever imagine. You must have that mindset of forgiveness. Even if the person doesn't want to receive it, your mindset must be that. Praying for their welfare. My goodness. So when they come to your mind, as I said earlier, in your prayer, how much do we pray for them? And when do we pray for them? When are we we're praying for that, such persons? What is the content of our prayer? Let's talk some stuff here. Now. What is the content of our prayer? Are we really praying for those people who, who we are struggling, so to speak, with forgiveness? Are we praying for them? What's the content of our prayer? Praying, we must pray for their welfare. Second to last point, seeking reconciliation so far as it depends on you, as I addressed that earlier. In your mindset and your heart, you are at one with, you bring them at one with you as you are one with you. Catalasso. Reconciliation. And then finally, and coming to their aid in distress. You're not only praying for their welfare, but when they are really in trouble, you're not only grieving for their calamities, but when they are really in distress, you go rush to their aid when they need help and in distress. Even if they reject it, you rush in and do exactly what you could do, the best that you can do to that person. That is, all of these things I mentioned um, are, 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 are factors that are in a forgiveness lifestyle. Forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave us. Next point, the just as of acceptance. Accept one another, Romans 15 verse 7. Accept one another just as God in Christ accepted us. We have a problem with that. And especially with what's happening today in our society, with race and 
uh, and so many things. In other words, it goes against our, our natural way of thinking. Oh my goodness. But listen, the very people, even racism found in the church, white and blacks and so on, there's white racism against black, but blacks are also racist against whites too. We have to be careful that we are not equally guilty. We belong to the human race. And also, in the hum theologically, human race has one face. We're made in the image and likeness of God and unique in that oneness. So there's unity and diversity. And the principle of unity and diversity comes out in our color. That's where you get the word universe from. Unity and diversity. University, we're going to study all of those things. So therefore, it's important that we understand that even in the Trinity, you have unity and diversity. One God in three persons, distinct persons. The Father, not the Son, the Son, not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. Distinct persons, one God. Distinct beings, distinct persons within the humanity, but one being, one human being. And we are God's new humanity in Christ, even more so that, that our human beingness is, is um, transformed and redeemed because we are in Christ, the authentic, true human. Accept one another, receive. Accept means to receive, is, is proslambano, which is the Greek word. Pros means towards, um, interactively with intensifying lambano which means to lay hold of with initiative so pros lambano put together means assertively receive with strong personal interest that is seriously what accept means it's not a casual oh you know what i, I put up the person's present i say i accept you and so on no the, and it's not a rushing in to overwhelm the person either but it's this mindset and heart set and thinking process set where we 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 um proslambano the person we we towards interact with intensifying um laying hold up with initiative that means we take the initiative don't wait on the person to take the initiative god does that with us he made the first move as i always say um holiness is the holy having a right relationship with unholy holiness is the holy having a right relationship with the unholy. God did that to us and has been doing that to us. We see God doing that with, with, um, with um, Isaiah and Isaiah 6. When he saw himself, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm, I'm dwelling among the people. Oh, it's me. I'm undone and so on. It was God, the holy God, who now took the um the, the, the calls from the altar and um and, and and say that you're forgiven and your guilt is removed. That is God, the holy God having a right relationship, which is a corrective relationship with the unholy. We see this with Jesus coming. We see this God so loved the world that he gave. It God we were we were we we were reconciled while we we're enemies, Christ died for us. And if if while we we're enemies we were reconciled, Romans five. How much more now being reconciled, we shall be saved or delivered from his final, on the final day. So right there you see 
the right, the holy having a right relationship with the unholy. And this is what acceptance is. The person might reject or accept, but this is our responsibility. And God commands us to do this because God himself has done this. And he's doing that through us. Paul said, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. So Paul is saying, it's a Christ's life through the Spirit that is in me that enables me to, to, um, to accept one another just as. And then the Bible says here, um, it's a present imperative middle. It's a command and the middle voice emphasizes the fact that it's, it's something that personally that I have to do myself in accepting one another, especially if that person is very different. Because we are different than God. In fact, the strong, we are enemies. <laughs> and he says, um, note now, he says, in order, in order to bring glory to God or praise to God. In doing this, we don't only praise God with our lips and so, we praise God in the very act of accepting others. God is glorified in it. God is magnified. Because this shows that we are truly in Christ. We are in alignment with the holiness of God. God is glorified when we accept others. And he is glorified when we accept them as he accepts them. Because if, if God does accept others and accept us, then how come we can't accept others? Who, who are we? When God accepts us, we, were we all that? Did we have it all together? No. And yet we can't accept others because they don't have it all together. Especially our brethren. Just as of servanthood. Serve one another just as Jesus served us. As our text says. You know, you serve one. You, you, can we bow down? Can we, the, the washing of the feet is a study in itself. Can go either way, you know. But the point of the story here is that, is that you have to be humble enough to submit. Just like you, um, you, you sit at the feet of a servant. You, you sit to learn from somebody. When you wash their feet, you submit to them in serving. A servant is a person who is submissive. Let this mind, Philippians chapter 2, which was also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself, not that he was proud, but and became a servant. Let this mind be in us. So therefore, the just as of servanthood, he was the servant person. And if he being Lord can be doing this, then who are we? Pride is our biggest problem. Pride. Because with pride, it's always somebody else that is wrong. We can't see ourselves. That's what pride is. The whole world is wrong. Like the Pharisee said, I'm not like other men are. Servanthood. That he was greatest among you will be a servant. Pride comes before fall. But when you're, when you're a servant in your mentality, it means that that is true greatness. You have strength in that submission. What? Strength in submission? Yes. And not subordination, but submission. The justice of obedience. Obey. 
the Lord, the Bible tells you, if you love me, obey me, you do my sin. Why? Because Jesus Christ loved the Father and he obeyed the Father. So it's possible for a human being to obey the Father because Jesus obeyed the Father. And so therefore, because we are in Christ as God's new humanity, we can obey the Father. Just as of compassion. Two more and I close. The just as of compassion. Luke 6 verse 36. Talk about being merciful and compassionate. Then Matthew 9 verse 36. He says, when he saw the crowds, not the plural, crowds. That means there are different kinds of people. Not just one class. He had compassion. He had what is called splagnon. Is a Greek word used here. Splagnon means that he felt something deep in the core of his being for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Well, this is a whole sermon he said, but let me just mention a few points here. The word compassion means, in essence, to suffer together with. Sympathy is different. The casual glance or, you know, but compassion is to suffer together with or to be in a position where you feel the pain of others, you do something about it. Compassion that moves us to the other from the core of our being. What moves us? What moves us? So, you know, sometimes we watch movies, we're moved. We're moved by what happens in, with, with injustices in the States, with, with racism and so on. We're moved by so many things. But are we moved with what moves Jesus? He was moved towards from where he is because they were harassed. The word for harassed means, it means um, sky low, S-K-Y-L-O, sky low, which means sky lawn, from sky lawn, which means to skin, to pelt, to skin properly, to skin alive. And it means to mandle, to flay. Figuratively, it means to harass, to um, dismantle or disfigure, to, to change the other person's identity through manipulation, through all kinds of um, bullism, through um, all kinds of, of stuff. That is what the world is, that's what people have been bombarded with. They are harassed. And we always think it was sexual harassment alone. You have all kinds of harassment. You have psychological harassment. You have social harassment. You have ethical harassment. You have um, relational harassment, all these kinds of harassment. He saw that they were harassed and said, no, and they're helpless. The word for helpless is repto, R-H-I-P-T-O. Repto, which means to throw, cast. It means to throw off, to toss something after it is used. It means to throw or cast something down or to pass it away. It means to dispose of something resulting in the helplessness in the spirit, mind, and emotions of that person. It means to use and throw away like a used tissue. I can go to the washroom and you need that tissue, but then the tissue serves that purpose. Forgive my grossness here in that, in that grossness, but it's practical. We do it almost every day. And that tissue, we don't use it and put it, but we just throw it and flush it. That is what that kind of word is for helpless. We treat people like that. What we can get from them. 
in all different levels of our getting, whether it be sexual, um, vocational, or, or, or sometimes they, they are in the pathway for us to achieve our gender. So therefore, we, we do everything nice to them so we can achieve our gender, and then we throw them away. Jesus was moved and he said, no, this is wrong. So therefore, the just as of compassion, we must have the compassion of Christ and just not do that or anything like that. It, it, the must of compassion, the, 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 the thrust of is mandatory. If we are Christ-like, we must, just as Christ was compassionate, we must be compassionate, partakers of his life, participants in his ongoing ministry. We must exude this. Then we must understand we must have the guts of compassion. It is from the center of our being, the splagnon, as I said. Then is the thrust of our compassion. It thrusts and moves us in the direction of the other. It doesn't pull us back. It, it moves us, thrust. And it does it in so many ways. It moves us sacrificially. It moves us even if moving towards the other threatens our own life. What? First John 3.16, you can see. See that borne out. It moves us sacrificially. It moves us even if moving towards the other threatens our own life. The Bible says we must love so much that we're able to lay down our life for the brethren. This is love, that he first loved us and he laid down his life for us. We could stop there. So 1 John 3.16 is like John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave himself. But 1 John 3.16 does something else. It says, this is love that Christ laid on his life for us. And then it adds something there new. It says, we ought, we owe it to the other and ourselves. We ought, that's what ought means. We ought to lay down our lives for the bread. You know, think about the person we can't forgive right now. We're supposed to have compassion like Christ has for that person. And we're supposed to have a, that we must be moved trusted, move towards that person sacrificially, where even meant to lay down our lives. It moves us helpfully. We have what it takes to help. Then it moves us willfully from the center of our being lies our will. We must, it must our will that informs our emotions. And sometimes we don't feel to do, move towards somebody to forgive them and have compassion because our emotions are are informed by our will because our will is not in the right place. It's not, we don't have a spirit-controlled, Christ-sanctified will. Then it moves us skillfully. We skillfully separate the danger to the person from the person. The way that is destructive to the person, it, 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 we lump that with the person. Jesus did that with a woman caught in adultery. He always protects before he corrects. Corrects. We see that in St. John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, where the woman was caught in adultery. Everybody was going to stone her to death. In essence, Jesus stood beside her and said, listen, if you're going to stone her, you have to stone me too. I'm just, um, you know, just putting my own words there. And, and then Jesus said, um, I, I don't condemn you. And he says, go and sin no more. He didn't condone what she did, and he didn't condemn her. And the throwing of stones, is the, is the transfer of guilt from one thing to another. They couldn't throw any stone because they actually threw the stone at themselves. 
they had to bear their own guilt. That's where all, they all walked away. And so it moves us also next joyfully. We move towards helping the other with joy and not judgment. Not judgmental, you know, posture if we are, we are so more spiritual, but with joy. It moves us practically. It moves us in doing something to help the other appropriate to their situation. You, you, don't, you don't even give advice that is inappropriate. Job and his friends, his three friends there, although they were seen at, and, and so on, they were giving advice and all that in Job's um, crisis. And they were, they, it was applicable in some cases, but not for Job. And it was the younger one who came now and said something and hit the nail right on the head. He was appropriate. And so therefore, it moves us practically in that sense. It moves us intelligently. It moves us and informed by wisdom. Philippians chapter 1 verse 9 tells us, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So therefore, love, which informs our compassion, is must be informed by knowledge, more in knowledge and depth of insight. And then finally, the just as of love, our text, finally. John 13, verse 34, Jesus says here, Love one another, just as I have loved you and continue to love you. What a standard. Present tense. Keep on loving one another. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8a says, Love never fails. And the word for failure is pipto, P-I-P-T-O. And it means to beat down, to give way, not relevant. It means to change with change. When there's change, it changes. No, it means um, it, it doesn't run out of, of, of relevance. It remains unchanged and when, there is no when there is change. And it's appropriate. It means love one another just as, to the exact proportion. It is actually Christ loving that, and it doesn't it just put it on just me alone. It's, it's reciprocal. You, if you are a believer, you're supposed to do about the same thing to me, even if you don't. And that is why I must go into to, to this too. It says also husband and wife. Ephesians 5 verses 25 to 22 to 25. Husbands keep loving your wife just as Christ of the church. And he gave up himself. And then also it says, wives submit to your husbands just as you submit to Christ. So if, you, if you're not, if, if you're just as applicable there, then it says, we are just as people and congregations. And, and let me just close off with some even ifs here, just worst case scenario. Even if factor, even if you don't, even if you don't love and give just as Jesus does. Even if you don't love, forgive. I will, I will forgive. Even if that person doesn't reciprocate, you must forgive and love them just as Christ loved them. Even if God does not deliver, you will not bow. You will still do just as God in Christ commands you to do. Even if it doesn't seem fair, we could say, I will still forgive just as Christ forgave me. 
it seems on oh that person not that the person not re reciprocating they're not i must do all the forgiving and so on and so on uh, yes even if the person does not reciprocate so you don't, you don't wait on them god didn't wait on us god didn't wait on so let me wait and see if if they will come to me we have no strength to go up on our own and that same power that god does in coming to us he has given us to go to the others too even if pride says no in doing the right thing i will do the right thing just as jesus did even if i'm drained and spiritually exhausted i will still obey just as jesus obeyed the father even if the person is so-called not spiritual as i think that i am i still will serve them just as christ served them they could be your enemy even if i feel hurt i will still keep on forgiving and accepting just as jesus did to me yes it means that we have to keep forgiving even when we are hurt even if others might think that I'm weak and vulnerable and they have rejected me, I will accept others just as God accepted me. You might sometimes feel foolish. What, what is this? This is, this is out of balance here. Do it. Even if I fail myself and cannot forgive myself and love myself, I will love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, strength, and accept myself just as um, Christ loved me and gave me and forgive me and accepts me. What about yourself too? Sometimes we can't even forgive ourselves. Some of the sins we commit in our minds and sometimes we, def we, 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 we deflect that, 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 that unforgiveness on others too. Because we, we, we can't forgive ourselves and we can't accept ourselves and so on so we have a problem with others too pastor this is tough let, let me tell you something paul says what philippians 4 13 i can do all things through christ who strengthened me what does that mean not that i can go out and lift up a car and so on if it needs to be i can do it that's like what samson did but it means that all that God has commanded me to do, he has also enabled me to do. That's why the song I said earlier, he's able. And when it says, I can do all things God has assigned me to do, literally it reads in the Greek, all things I can do. All things are put first in the Greek. All things I can do. You bring them on. Not I can do all things. But all things I can do, not I should or I might be able to do. I can. I can uh, who strengthen through Christ. The word through in the Greek means N. And this word N is a preposition. It probably means um, inside, within. Figuratively, it means in the realm or the sphere of, as in the condition or state in which something operates from the inside, from within something. Christ who continues to infuse his strength in me. So therefore, I can do all of these just as Christ has done because I'm operating from inside Christ. That's one of the meanings. To be in Christ 
It's not I'm operating outside of Christ. It's within the sphere of this Christ and the empowerment that comes from this Christ and the enablement that I have. That Paul said, I can do all things I can do. All that God has required for me in my Christian life, I can do. Of course, I stumble a lot and fall over. But I will not be utterly cast down, as Proverbs says. I will get up back and I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. So don't be bitter. Let us not be bitter. Let us be better. Let us not grumble at the hardship of relationship with people and so on and hey ha hey ha. But, but let us be not grumble, let us be humble and keep on applying all the just as as stated here. God bless you. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that this little phrase, just as, as we have itemized, may your spirit, O oh God, use this word to reach every person. Despite my inability to articulate as your word deserves, but, O oh God, even through this broken jar or vessel, may your glory shine through your word. May there be change because your word shall not return unto you void. This is your word. This is a fulcrum on which truth swings. Just as you are the standard. And yet, oh God, we can meet that because you have enabled us through your spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I trust that this message was not only informative, but transformative in your life to the glory of God. God is for us. And we see that God is for us and that he has given his word to us so that we will be who he wants us to be. And I trust that this word will be part of that process to, to encourage our hearts, but also empower us to live with confidence and full assurance in this world to the glory of God.